0: Hello, this is Real History with Melissa, and today is Thursday, the 23rd of March, 2023. And today I am joined by Henry from Tennessee, USA.
1: Are you there, Henry? Yes, I am, Melissa. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. It's nice to talk with you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really pleased to talk with you, too.
0: Just to kind of catch listeners up with who you are and everything. You and I have been talking for a long time now.
1: Yes, yes, we have. Uh-huh.
0: Um, y- you've been a long time listener of Alan Watt and Cutting Through the Matrix and you were one of the fortunate people who was able to speak with Alan quite a few times. You, I'm not sure exactly when you started talking to Alan, but as long as I've known Alan, I have known of you because you've been talking with him that long. So maybe you can okay. just give mm-hmm. a little bit of your background and how you came to to find Alan's talks.
1: Okay. In my early background, before I met Alan, I was a you know a teacher at one point and I just you know and for various reasons I got out of teaching. And I got into the skilled trades, which made more money
0: and you and you all, you taught yeah. music, you taught yes, I did. Hi, high school yes, level I music,
1: yes, yes, I did, well, all levels, primarily high school
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh anyway, I did that for about about ten, ten twelve years, and uh for various reasons, family reasons, and reasons that I just did. And like what I was doing, you know, not, had nothing to do with students, but more like the atmosphere, the politics, and everything else that was associated with it. I, I was, I was disgusted with it. And the pay was not worth it. So I got, so I went into a different direction, and I made, you know, considerably more money than what I was doing teaching. I even made more money than, even if I stuck with it. So that was one part of it.
0: And you ended up, you've been married a long time now, I don't know how long, but you have three grown daughters. And so this choice that you were making was, you know, how were you going to support your family the best way?
1: Right. Yeah, I've been married for 40 years. I've got three all-grown daughters right now. Uh, At the time I left uh, uh, teaching, we were wanting homeschool, so that was another incentive to get out of uh, teaching. It would not have been too well for me to be teaching. Then, but my children homeschooled, not in the public schools, not with sort of of eyebrows, you might say. So, and and uh, for various reasons, I felt like we could do a good job, which we did. We did. I felt like we did a really good job teaching them, just as well, if not better, than what they would what they're getting in public schools, especially today.
0: I'll brag on you for you, but all of your girls have gone on to get uh, university degrees and at some of them, advanced degrees. And so the homeschooling paid off. And they, uh, I think, at least two of the three daughters, you've also exposed to um, Alan Watt's work. And they, I remember, you had me send a book for one of your daughters right a couple of right. years ago so
1: right yeah they uh yeah after they homeschooled you know they went on one of them's a nurse practitioner got a doctorate in nurse practicing and then another one she was working on a phd she put it on hold she took a position at position at a university as a as a uh, research assistant uh you know like say more like in charge of a laboratory research and so it, and it paid it really well, and it was attractive to her, so she took that job and they're all doing quite well right now.
0: that's great mhm
1: and uh let's see of course, also you know at the same time when I left, I got out of teaching uh we I was building my house and everything else, and to save money and it, well, to save money, I did it myself, my wife and I did. We well, that's house. definitely,
0: I, I want to devote a chunk of our conversation to the house oh, okay. because you will You said you would send me some pictures of it. It's a pretty cool place, and you and your wife did all of the work right. yourselves, right. and yes. so I, uh, yeah, we'll come back to
1: that. Okay, 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 all right. Well, anyway, getting to Alan, though, you know, later on as I was working, I I was dissatisfied with what was going on around the world. Something just never seemed right. Even growing up, I hear one thing. I saw things that were happening, you know, and then it just didn't make sense. Like for example, uh, I grew up in the, like at the era of the Vietnam War going on, and we're supposed to be we're at war with Russia, or not at war, but we were enemies, you might say, or, or China or whoever. But yet at the same time, there was always a talk about the grain deals and all kinds of other things, deals that's going on with Russia. And I thought, why in the world are we communicating with them? We're selling them food or whatever it is. And they're our enemies. You know, that sort of raised questions to me as an example. It just nothing made sense to me growing up. For example, hearing presidents and other politicians makes promises that things going to get better. And nothing gets better. It just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, it might get a little bit better for a short period of time, then it starts going back down. Nothing is, you know, if you look back 50, 60 years, it's not better at all economically, for instance.
0: It's much worse economically in a way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Even taking into
0: account the 70s and how horrible those were for people with inflation. Oh, and, it was, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I had I had relatives. One of them was a farmer, and the inflation and everything, the farming industry just just went just went bust in the I had one uh, relative; he just had to file bankruptcy just mm. because everything just went crazy for him. economically speaking.
0: And that the '70s were an era. A lot of people may not know this, but that was when the big push was on for paying farmers not to farm.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, they were putting in what was called a land bank, and that didn't make sense to me. How could they? What did you call that, Henry? It was called the land bank back then. That's what I remember uh-huh. that. Mm-hmm. And the, and I remember talking to my uncle about this. He was one of the farmers that you know had these fields, many acres. They're just sitting out there, not doing anything. All he's doing maybe just clipping them, you know, or cutting them, and that's it. Not growing anything, no cattle or nothing. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I asked him, why did he do that? And he says, well, I was supposed to do that if I put it in the land bank. That way to make money and don't have to do a thing to it. And that <laughs> didn't make sense to me for being a farmer. You're not producing crops or, or using it for livestock or anything like that. So, you know, that was going on. Not just him, you know, just all over the country, like you said. That's just one example of, mm-hmm. of the farming industry that was going on. So I observed that, and, you know, it just tons of things that was, That was happening, and and it it just perplexed me all my life. Well, anyway, you know, scooting on toward Allen, I started listening to talk radio. I got sick of listening to the news all the time, you know, because they were all saying the same thing over and over. Anyway, I started listening to shortwave. I had a hard time listening to shortwave because I never could get a good radio or get good reception. But talk radio was just beginning, like about in the nineties. A. on the AM stations and then I started searching around and I found one AM station that had a this different uh talk show host, like a John Statmiller, for instance. And that's and John and John
0: Statmiller, for people yeah. who may not know, was the uh gentleman who started Republic Broadcasting Network. That's RBN right. and Alan mm-hmm. had cutting through the matrix on RBN for many years.
1: Right. Well, that's where – so one day, it's approximately 2005, maybe, maybe 2006, I'm guessing, uh, I heard Alan for the first time. Of course, I didn't – I mean, I was sort of right in the middle of his uh, talk, and, uh, and, and I was on the edge of, the, of that particular AM radio station and I lost the signal, so I never did get a hold of him again for, for about a few more months. Then I was able to go through that same area, and I heard him, and I got his name, and the name of his, uh, his website at the time. And that's how I got a whole yeah, – that's how I found out information about Alan. And I started listening to him and his podcasts I guess they weren't podcast. Well, they call them blurbs. And I, I downloaded and I started downloading every one of them. And eventually I, I was able to get his phone number and call him. And I just started talking to him pretty regularly for years, You know, quite a bit. I don't know how many. I, right. I guess <clears throat> least, at least 15 years possibly and maybe a little bit longer than that. So that's how I got started, you know, just about searching the radio. I was trying to find somebody that talked and make sense instead of repeating the same thing I'm hearing over. Or a lot of the uh, stations were just trying to sell you something. they would trying to sell you their vitamins or their supplements or, or whatever else it was or their gold. You know, nothing wrong with gold, you know, but, you know, they were trying to sell something and they had all these theories of what's going on, but no real answers of what's really happening. So that's, you know... So well, anyway, that I is, you out. know,
0: Henry, that that is the promise of Patriot Radio, is that if you listen to them, you'll not only know what's going on in the world, but you'll also live
1: forever and be rich. Yeah. yeah, That was nonsense. But still... I was just fortunate enough at that particular time to hear Alan. And, say, and he was the first one I heard that actually made sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I, I've been listening to him. I hardly ever listen to anybody else. I might turn over just to see what the latest news is going on in the world or something like that. But as far as paying attention to anybody in particular, you know, Alan was about the only one that I could rely could on at the time. And of course, you know, nowadays you hear a lot of people sort of Imitating Alan, but they don't quite get it over quite as well. A lot of times, they were copying Alan of what he was saying already. Yeah. So
0: there have been a hopefully. few. Pe- there have been a few people over the years, a very few, tiny few, who have, you know, given credit and said that they, you know, learned a lot from Alan. And but a lot of people did really just take the information and, you know, I, I don't know. I guess it's the ego that. Wants the world to think, you know, that they're the ones who thought it thought of it first,
1: right? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would call it just plagiarism. You know, they're just taking <laughs> it and take credit and, and making money off of it. They were, yeah, yeah. So, anyway,
0: you were really the though the, you characterize this as a, a lifelong search. So, you didn't really yes. pin it to one event. It wasn't Waco. It wasn't. Ruby Ridge, it wasn't no. 9/11. It was just sort of the whole lifelong
1: search for something isn't right. Right. I mean, I mean, I can remember far back as early, you know, elementary school years, you know what I was reading in the history books and, and things, and then uh, and hearing, oh my goodness,, uh, what's going on? It just perplexed me. like say, for example, uh, studying I mean, just one little example. They taught us, like in history, that the uh, the World War II was started, you know, at Pearl Harbor, and it was a sneak attack. But then again, you can now read about it that uh, why in the world were they uh, back in the late 30s, for example, that uh, Roosevelt and some of the Allied leaders were making plans for the or for the uh, Japanese offensive that was going to take place later on in 41 after the war how do they how did they know that that was going to happen they were making plans for call island hopping for example how they were going to proceed against uh, fight against the Japanese like they knew something was going to happen and That didn't make sense to me I mean that that's one example growing up of making uh, of what's happening the Vietnam War you know now at the time they had video and, and videos and movies but say like the, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, they had all they had was audio, but they had no video or nothing about the attack at the Gulf of Tonkin, which dragged us into the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. That didn't make sense. Oh yeah, now let's take for example. I remember when I was a child when I saw, I saw uh, John Kennedy was assassinated, and shortly a while later they showed the video, the only video that they had, they said of him getting assassinated. And of course, when you—I don't want to get graphic—but when, when he got hit by the bullet, the bullet—you know—the force. would normally, you would think if he got hit in the back of the head, the force would go out front. Well, it didn't. It come out the back. They said, "Wait a minute! How did he do that? How does that bullet turn around, and come and go, out, come out backwards?" And, you know, and do what it did. And, you know, I saw that as a child. I mean, that didn't make sense. And then they had the Warren report a few years ago, and then talked about the ballistics of uh, when Kennedy was shot. And then uh, and uh, John Collins, the Governor I believe, was at the time, and several other people, how that bullet traveled make turns and zigzag around with, you know I mean, come on, bullets just don't do that and do it damage you know stuff like that you know that was being reported just did not make sense that's why you know I keep saying not make sense because what I thought was should be right wasn't right. everything was just upside down uh, basically bunch of lies was what we were getting. You know,
0: the, the interesting thing is, I, I was just thinking about Alan's response to things. This last Sunday, I put up something and Alan mentioned, you know, he didn't really need to get into all of the details of how the towers came down at 9-11. You know, he knew the long-term plans, so uh-huh. the, the, the how that it was actually done or the things that didn't make sense were not that interesting. And he really had a a similar, which isn't to say that he didn't study it in depth, he did. And same thing for, like, the Kennedy assassination. But these things, these mysteries are put out for us to spend our lifetime... Right. Yeah, because we just think, "Aha! If we can just prove this, then we can show everybody, and everybody will see." But another thing that Alan said is, "It's it is the first explanation that always sticks in people's minds." So even right. if you know, even if they later can say, "Well, that doesn't make any sense," you know, this the passport at nine eleven just you know falling down to the ground, and nothing else is salvaged, and you know, there, any of these events that you look at historically that stink to high heaven, it doesn't really matter after the fact because the purpose for it was success. You know, they were successful in achieving what they wanted to achieve. And they know that as much as people holler, oh, it's an inside job or that doesn't make sense or this is wrong. That first thing that they come out with, that's that that is the those talking points are what stick in people's minds forever.
1: Right. Well, and, and that's you know, the, the, my question is why. There's never an explanation of why it happened. It always is what happened, or you know, like like you said, distraction for people instead of really why did it? Who was behind it? Those kind of questions, those were never answered.
2: Mm-mm.
1: Never. No. So anyway, that was, you know, my. I was perplexed by that all my life. Well, until, uh, like I say, you know, until Alan came along and I discovered him on a, on an Edward. And uh, I had just been fascinated and relied heavily on him, on the information of what's really going on in this world. And it makes sense.
0: Another interesting thing from your own background in childhood, you told me that mm-hmm. you, that your father was a, a minister, a Christian minister, maybe Baptist.
1: Um, no, you know, no, he was Methodist at Methodist. the time. Oh, okay. Methodist, okay. Sorry, right.
0: that's a big difference. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, not, not, yeah, well, yeah so, sort of, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, there's a difference, just to put it that way, yes.
0: But that... Um, had also shaped your thinking as to reality uh-huh. and the way that it's presented.
1: Right. It was kinda of hard to explain. Well, like, you okay, take for example, and you read things of how you're supposed to live in the Bible. You know, it gives you the rules and the laws and everything. And but then again you see people that are supposedly were doing, you know, supposed to, what the Bible says to do, for example, or how they're supposed to live, they go to church for and everything, dressed up nicely and everything, act pious. And then they go back to work or the next few days they're back in the same old, you know, devilish sinful self, you know, as they always were. They just sort of like what you would call Sunday Christians. I you know, that perplexed me. I I mean, these are some people that were had stature in the church and then turn right around and go back doing what they were doing at you know, Monday morning. You know, that that went on constantly. You know, and still does today.
0: I remember sometimes yeah. Alan would, uh, and he may have actually said this to you in a phone conversation, but I've heard him say this to people on the phone or in an email um, that the trouble with Christianity for for a long, long time now. Well, of course, we all know that the worldwide Council of Churches was a yes. Rockefeller creation. Um, I don't remember what year that was right now, but it's probably been more than 100 years, and that was instrumental in making sure that all denominations, all churches were presenting more or less the same kind of cultural information and the same historical perspective. And that was an important part. And then the Schofield Bible... I'm pretty sure that that was also a Rockefeller production, and that
1: I believe it was heavily because mm-hmm. you know, you know, if you read the history on Schofield, you wonder how in the world he was ever included into into the uh, having something to do with the writing or commenting on the Bible. If you, if you know his <laughs> history, I mean,
0: yeah. well, t- tell got, us a little bit your- about that if you've got it on the top of your head right now. If- yeah. About yeah, he
1: Schofield. was an ex-con. Yeah, he was he was an ex-con. And of course, he was a very good writer. All right, he was, he was skilled at it. Oh, what was he? He made a lot of notes and everything, annotations to the Bible. You know what he interpreted, and, and for somebody picked up You know, I guess it was Rockefellers or the families prior to it. You know, picked them up, and he he got a contract. I'm still talking off the top of my head. Somebody might disagree, but you know, he started his version and his notes to his uh, to the Bible. And a lot of people are sticking to it. You know, some of them make sense, but some of it was uh, nonsense, you might mm-hmm. say, on his notes. And, of course, you know, I didn't, I didn't care about the Schofield Bible myself. I mean, I read a little bit. of I got one, but I hardly ever. I looked through it a little bit, and you know, I just put it away, and I'm still thinking it's just leading us down another rabbit hole again. hmm
0: Well, and that that thought that I didn't complete was that that Alan would say to folks on the phone or by email that the trouble with Christianity nowadays is it's not just the Worldwide Council of Churches, but it's that the function now that Christianity and churches have for most people is it's a social club.
1: Exactly. And that's what's going on now. Mm-hmm. You gotta hold your hand up the right way and say the right words to be a member of that particular club or church, or mm-hmm. you're not accepted I mean so I was disgusted with the whole thing growing up i you know, I try to go to church and I still do go to church you know primarily just to be be around some people, but it's uh see what's going on, but it's still pretty much the same thing as I was growing up. It might be a different name or whatever, but it's still the same people are going to a, Social club, more or less. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had to go to church. when I was a preacher's son, preacher's kid, you might say, and so I was expected to go to church every morning, grow up all my life. But like I did in school, a lot of times I would, get bored and tired of it. I start daydreaming. <laughs> so I got <laughs> <laughs> so because I said this, this is silliness. You know, this doesn't make sense. You know, talking. I, I was just disgusted with it because it wasn't real. It didn't really answer what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Of what's you know, of course, I was searching on well, what's going on in the world right now, and I listened to all this, all this stuff in in church. Supposedly, you know, you're supposed to be saved and all this, all of this, and but it was a distraction. Yeah, you know, people get saved. You might say, for example, at other parts, or they not get to know Jesus or get to know God, and turn right around and go live like the devil again the next mm-hmm. day. So, you know, I was just perplexed by it. I mean, that's just one part of it. And the lives in the church, the lot, schools were boring to me. And I didn't have any trouble uh, understanding what was going on. But, you know, for example, I get my school books and I had them read within a few days of the whole thing. And I was ready to quit or wanted to go on <laughs> something else. I mean, I, I, I couldn't stand that. But I had to, you know, go through the promotions and everything through school. I didn't have any trouble passing grades. I didn't have any trouble sticking with it or trying to make the teacher happy. I remember several times a teacher, you know, in a report card to make comments says he daydreams too much or he doesn't pay attention <laughs> in class. But you know, but I had good grades. But I mean,
0: that's not enough. You're not conforming. If, Don't daydream.
1: No. Well, that's right. Well, that's what they wanted. Well, I daydreamed, and I just learned how to daydream. Them not know it, I guess. <laughs> and and that and this went on through high school. Uh, some of the, now, there's a few classes I had that was fascinating me. Overall, not you know, not many of them. College. What did was, you uh,
0: just out of curiosity? What sparked? Huh? What classes did you spark to?
1: Primarily science. I had a few good teachers that were science teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my uh, He was uh, What was it It was 8th grade science teacher He was very good He made it interesting, mm-hmm. And uh, And of course He had, had, had his do project Another one was An earlier elementary teacher who was also my principal Like in 5th or 6th grade I mean he We would actually do Experiments in science For example I like doing stuff Instead of just You know Just uh, talking about it And doing tests all the time mm-hmm. I Actually just You know he, Well anyway I had a he was a my science teacher. Was you know he was also the principal at the time. He was strict, but he made it interesting, and mm-hmm. I learned a whole lot through him. I had a in high school the chemistry teacher was that was fun class. We did all kinds of stuff in chemistry. It was kind of funny. We played tricks on the on the teacher. And one time we got a piece of this. Uh, uh, um, metal that you're not supposed to let it get exposed to water. And we sort of played a trick or and, p- and put it in a dry sink. Well, she got in there and turned the water on. That thing started spurting and <laughs> steaming and blowing stuff. <laughs> and a little bit got on her and she, I think it's someone splattered her on her foot and started burning. Her. She oh no. Of, uh oh. Yeah, she jumped up in the top of the sink and turned the water on to wash it over. Oh, uh, I got a little bit. Of, I got me and this other boy. We got in trouble for that. I <laughs> well, I guess a little so. Bit yeah we had to go see the principal and threatened us with suspension but no so we were just playing we didn't know it was going to cause anything like that so i mean i yeah i i enjoyed chemistry but i also liked playing too and having fun doing things so so uh you know the science was a big part of uh, uh you know the main things that i liked the most in school math pretty much it was okay Mm-hmm. I like the mathematics, but I got—I couldn't. I had a hard time just sitting still, hours at a time, doing math problems. I just drove me crazy. I want to get outside and do something. And I got interested in music, you know, later on in in uh, later elementary and high school. And of and course, you, that's the direction.
0: Saxophone. Saxophone was your primary instrument, is right? Right. Was right. it ten, tenor sax?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it was Alto, sir. Alto. Okay. You know, I didn't care at the time when I was just wanting a saxophone <laughs> when, I was, when I was growing up. I mean, when I was in music, I would have taken a tenor or an alto. Of course, they are basically fingering-wise and so on. They're, they're similar, almost mm-hmm. the same. If you can play an alto, you can easily switch over to a tenor or, mm-hmm. or back and forth. If you, can to, <laughs> if you can afford the cost of buying one of, yeah. both of them. That was a big factor right there. But, yeah, it's primarily the alto saxophone. And that's what I used and that's what I majored in when I was in college.
0: And then you also are more proficient in all of the wind instruments as well. Yes,
1: yep, mm-hmm. yes. I could play the saxophones as well as the uh, clarinets and the flutes. A little bit of the double reeds, like the oboes and the bassoons. Those are a little bit different uh, nature type of woodwind, but I, I could play those a little bit. The I just love little-
0: the oboe. I, I, uh-huh. I always, I always think you know, if you could go back in time, like what would your instrument? If you could do over. Because mm-hmm. I I I played flute, oh, okay. and it was nice. You know, I liked it, and it right. was you know it was definitely a, you know, for me at the time. But then later on in life, I just the sound of the oboe is so beautiful.
1: It is. It is. It, it's really a nice instrument. Yeah, yeah. So I had to learn all the woodwinds as well as the brass. Uh, brass was tougher being you know I'm a woodwind player. Brass is just different nature. You, you buzzing lips <laughs> versus you know mm-hmm. uh, woodwind instrument. Uh, and, and the percussion That's another one when, you, when you're learning music To be a music teacher Like a band or orchestra You learn a bit of all the instruments mm-hmm. at least I'm basic, assuming elementary. that you
0: had to get A little bit of proficiency with the keyboard
1: Yep yeah. Yeah, Yes a... we had That was a tough Now for me it was not tough Uh But at the university I went, went to Everybody had to uh, be proficient To a certain level I guess what you might say uh Above elementary, maybe, uh, maybe a grade two or something like that out of grade mm-hmm. six being the most advanced, maybe like a grade one or two.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In order, they had to be proficient at it in order to take the final music theory course. And that was a big stumbling block for a lot of them because they didn't have any uh, keyboard experience or, or what experience they had was, was not adequate. And so some, you know, I had to, I had to have some keyboard, had some keyboard proficiency but i didn't have any trouble with that i also had i took piano from elementary school through high school too at the same time as i was playing the band instrument so i, I could play the piano very well at right. the time and now didn't yeah the first day of classes at, a, at the university of course I, I i signed up for all required courses and one of the required courses was piano you know or, or piano, class piano for everyone to take the class piano and the first day the teacher asked, anybody in here wanna exam out of this class? Me and about half a dozen others, and I raised my hand and said, Yeah, I can so I just went to the kid of the keyboard department and went in there and just, uh, and just asked like Oh, what can you play can you play anything Yeah, So I played what I did at the recital, not last recital. And he just listened to it for about five minutes and Yeah, I know you can play, get out of here, go, you 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 can pass. <laughs> so I didn't have any really trouble. Yeah. So I got out of that class. That was a relief. You know, just left one last class I had to take. But anyway, being a musician, you, uh, it, you know, to, especially to be a teacher, you have to be professional, knowledgeable in all areas, and including the string. The string is the hardest one for me. The hardest part was the left hand holding the violin or, or whatever, the cello or whatever. That drove me crazy. It just rubbed my fingers, and just irritated the fool out of me. I couldn't <laughs> handle it. I could play about five minutes, and I just had to stop. And I got, I couldn't get developed calluses of it because my fingertips would get raw. I just can't uh-huh. stand this. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I love the sound of it. I could do a little bit, but after about 10, 15 minutes, I had to stop.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, but you, anyway. after university, you did, uh-huh. um, and maybe simultaneous with teaching but, or maybe before you started teaching, you actually performed with bands and did studio work?
1: Well, I wanted yeah. to. I wanted Well, to I did, you, well did, I you did. You did. Yeah,
0: even, did. Yeah. Okay. You said, okay, I, I can't I make a, a living bit. at it.
1: <laughs> right. I did a little bit of it, uh, you know, saxophone for a little while, uh, performing with a band, and uh, it was a jazz type band. Uh, That played anything, I, rock and roll, jazz, country, or whatever. I did that for a little while, but it was a lifestyle I did not want to fool with after seeing what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. the pay might be good. Then again, the pay might be horrible, mm-hmm. and you might not get a job for a long time. Mm-hmm. I thought about also, you know, well, maybe I could do, do, do the recording industry. Well, the recording industry is a very tough to get into, you know, because there's plenty of people that could play real well. And it's more or less a pecking order trying to get in there, uh-huh. who you know, and all that, everything to get involved and stuff like that. And if I and I was having a family come, coming along, and I was like, no, this is not a lot of stuff I was going to have if I was going to have a family. So, well, I,
0: I never asked yeah. you this before, but I'm curious now, um, did uh-huh. you ever try Nashville since you were in Tennessee? Did, did no. you ever, no?
1: No. Okay. No 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 no, 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 no I never <laughs> did that. No, yeah no, uh, no. Well,
0: it's I mean to... that's a rough town. I mean people don't think of it, it that way, but that's like you know New York City or L.A. It's a rough town to
1: to it make is. it as a it musician. Is. Yeah, you know my uh, several of my music teachers were were professional musicians, and they did, and primarily what they did was recording. Of course, they recorded with some big names. I don't know, I remember. More. One teacher was also a recorder with, like, Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. for example. Some with the Beatles, Chicago. You know, just, that's just a few of the groups of them that, uh, mm-hmm. that he performed with. And, of course, he talked about the, the lifestyle. Like, he, he was primarily, about 99% of it was written in the recording industry. And a lot of times that was late at night because that's when the traffic is less like that, have a, a sirens going off and the horns talking. And uh, so, they, you know, he'd be, uh, work, for example, working uh, up recording, like from uh, midnight till about four o'clock in the morning, recording, and then he'd come to work and teach the next day. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, and that was the kind of lifestyle he was. Of course, he loved teaching. He said he made more money doing that recording than he did teaching, but he just liked teaching so much, I guess, mm-hmm. why he wanted to do that. The pay was good. But then again, he said, "But then turning right around, and he said another reason why for teaching. He said I might go several months, and I might not pick up a horn at all because they won't call me to come in and do a job, or, or just you know, it's not really that steady. Mm-hmm. So all those things got me, you know, you know thinking about you know, I like music and everything, but it was just not worth worth having a living on.
0: When you decided ultimately with the three young children." and you and your wife starting to think of, you know, building the house, thinking about building this house, you switched careers.
1: Yes, I did, completely.
0: What did you get into at that point?
1: I got into industrial electricity, you know, working in factories and and commercial things, working with, you know, basically an electrician doing repairs to machinery. Uh, that kind of thing. Your focus
0: yeah. has been for—I uh, mean, most of the years that I've known you has been refrigeration.
1: Yes, particularly refrigeration. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I got into that after I got into uh, into the electrical work for, mm-hmm. for a few years. I worked at a factory, and then I transferred out to a different company that used refrigeration heavily. And plus, all on top of that, at that you know, and still is today, I think it, you know, uh, the pay scale tends to be a little bit more so. For refrigeration it's more of a high, very high skilled job compared to uh, some of your other skilled jobs. So they pay, the pay was very good, and also it was a little. It could be more difficult for some people, you know, to select a, to get a grasp of a refrigeration because it, it does require a certain amount of knowledge, not just not just with wires and throwing free on at it and hope something works. You know, you have to have some knowledge, also some sort of training. So. And which I got that and that and I didn't have any trouble. That I like I was science oriented anyway, so I could understand the concepts of refrigeration and how it worked, and that was to my benefit. And I was able to get jobs in, in refrigeration, and I, and I made very good money. Made considerably more money than what I would have been if I was teaching. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was a big incentive right there. You know, money was a big factor. Plus, I enjoyed it more.
0: Now, one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, th- For many years that you were talking to Alan, you were kind of nudging him to head down to the U.S. and live in a different climate. And you sent a lot of great maps, and uh, really great maps. I mean, detailed maps Uh over the years, but... You, your One of your refrigeration jobs Sounded just ideal in a way Because it allowed you to travel You had a route And you traveled all through the Appalachian Mountains And yes. through You can describe that region But I, as I recall You were covering um, the Virginias West Virginia, Virginias
1: Almost heaven West Virginia Blue Ridge Mountain the River
0: North Carolina, South Carolina Said I'm gone to Carolina In my mind Georgia, Georgia. Tennessee, of course
2: In my Tennessee mountain
0: Home Am I missing right. something? Yeah,
1: Alabama, Kentucky Alabama.
2: One, two, three <laughs> Yeah.
1: Oh, Kentucky, uh, that's beautiful Oh, the sun shines bright On old Kentucky home <laughs> Parts of Mississippi uh, Let's see you got North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama uh, Parts of Florida Mostly northern Florida
2: Down the highway
1: south I'll go to port say joe i'm gonna walk the beach with a pirate's ghost and we'll haunt that old forgotten ghost mm-hmm. i mean ours our, the range that we traveled was uh, probably uh, you know one way maybe like 600 miles radius typically as far as we would go and then, then get so far then we had probably would have contractors take over that far but most of the time i you might I would say about eighty percent of the time the radius from where I worked was maybe like about hundred and fifty to two hundred miles majority of the time, but mm-hmm. it, quite a few times it'd go farther than that, like I say it'd go up to the we covered most of the southeast we didn't get to Arkansas or or Texas or anything like that, even though some of the products that you know that for the company I worked for you know since the far west is Arizona and Texas. Or all the way up north to Ohio. We've been up to Ohio, too. Uh,
0: Ohio, doesn't Ohio, that is on the west side of Kentucky at a certain point, right?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, 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 northwest to Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think, uh, for example, like heading towards Cincinnati. You go to Lexington, Kentucky. Well, you keep going north on Lexington, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. then you run into Ohio. And I think since, it's been a long time, I think Cincinnati is just a short way across the border there. So, so we went up just, quite a bit just for
0: listeners who aren't familiar with American geography, and I don't have a map in front of me, so I'm just talking <coughs> off the top of my head, but you're covering mm-hmm. um, the Appalachian Mountains, which are just gorgeous, yes. the Appalachian yes. Trail, the Com- or do you get the Cumberland Trail in there too? Uh, parts Cumberland parts
1: Trail, I, th- I think the Cumberland Trail, that was in the more uh, western part of the Sort of like uh, the western part of the state if the Cumberland Trail I think of that goes up through the Cumberland Mountains. Mm-hmm. Cumberland Plateau. I believe that's the Cumberland Trail.
2: Camp, the of camp. Camp, the of camp.
1: Is that the one But you'll about? you'll
0: also get the uh, Shenandoah Valley on your route.
2: Yes, he played and sang them all in the bars and old dance halls in the shed.
1: Virginia, in part yes. Yeah, sometimes we did. Yep, you know, and that's parts just of Virginia beautiful. did that. On a mountain in Virginia stands a lonesome pine.
0: Just be is the cabin home of a little girl of mine. And then oh, of course, um, Kentucky's got Kentucky's got uh, racehorses and bluegrass, right. and uh, and l- literally grass that is blue.
1: <laughs> it is. It yeah. It's so blue. You, and you you and bluegrass music,
0: it. yeah.
1: Right. And lot tobacco, of
0: lots of tobacco.
1: A lot, yes, ma'am. A whole lot of it. Man. And, of course, you know, now that's on like the middle and western part. Now, you go to the eastern part of the state of Kentucky, it's a different world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where, you, the East Kentucky, the coal mines and the mountains and so on, just, mm-hmm. just completely different. The Appalachians mm-hmm. up in there. And, but I've been all over that too. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, now, that was a job That was a that was a uh, job drive that area, because a lot of times you'd be going on roads that are more or less uh, logging roads or, or coal mining roads, and you have to watch out for truckers. Because a lot of times you barely have room where two pe- two cars can get through. And of course, if you see a truck coming, you better get out of the way because they're going to take your road. I mean, ran those situations a lot. So we went, and surprisingly, there's a lot of, at that time when I was doing it a lot. There are a lot of business, small businesses up in there. And then, of course, we also serve the schools uh, and uh, hospitals and places like that, uh, way up in those areas mm-hmm. of the mountains.
0: So, I mean, this is very educational to you because mm-hmm. you get to see, you know, vast swaths of the country, and including places that are quite impoverished. and
1: Yes, uh, yes.
0: And you are working... In that region, at the time that some of these areas became known for, like huge drug problems with OxyContin, yes. yeah,
1: yes, you know, that was that was that was rampant up to, you know up to there because it was depressed areas, a lot mm-hmm. of them. My father, oh. Bye. People were broke. The, the coal mining towns, uh, the coal mines were shut down, which is a result of all the environmental laws and and trying to get us away from the coal energy, or they call it fossil energy, or whatever else. So there's there a lot of poverty that's going on, mm-hmm. and uh, and then of course, along with that, businesses shut down. I mean, hospitals were shutting down in a lot of these areas. So it was really it's really a sad situation in some of them
0: yeah you know I saw a documentary a few years ago. um It may have been one even that part of one that that Alan posted to the website but the so many of the hospitals and clinics have been shut down in these areas that they now have doctors and nurses who t- volunteer. Usually, like, one weekend a month, they'll volunteer. And they have a circuit that they run, and they've set up awnings or tents, and they provide basic health care services, you know, basic exams, basic dental work, blood pressure, just all kinds of services to people who there's just no health care available to them.
1: Right. For any amount of money. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these. I mean, let's see. In the eastern, way eastern part of Tennessee, that's in Polk County, around what area, what's called Copper Hill. They had a hospital just shut down about five or six years ago. All they have is like, a, I think somewhere up around there. I think they got a small clinic just for people, but they don't have any emergency services up there. Mm-hmm. It, but that's going on all over the place. You know, I, when I traveled, I'd see that not just there in Tennessee. I've seen it in North Carolina, Kentucky as well, and parts of Georgia. Northern Georgia, Northern Alabama, same things of one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Now I may have to mm-hmm. prevail upon you to send some photographs. I know you sent Alan some wonderful photographs of some of your travels, just beautiful, you know, shots uh-huh. of the mountain or the mist in the mountains and stuff. But for me to remember which computer and what file. So I may just have you resend them.
1: Okay, I'll I'll try to do that. Yeah, that that would be
0: fun to include a few photographs here so people could see that beautiful part of the country. But I also, I wanted to have you talk just a few minutes about what year you started building the house and why you and your wife decided that you were going to do it yourselves. And you had just started to learn... The commercial electrical skills. Right. But you you built a beautiful
1: log house. Well, you thank you. Yes, I did. I mean, I did build it. (laughs) Probably (laughs) share that. Well, other people like it too. You know, it it is, I think, yeah, it is a nice house.
0: It's a nice house. And the fact that you and your wife did it all yourselves is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it was, how do you say it? i wasn't afraid to do it just, you know people some people say i don't know how to build a house well at the time i started i didn't either or i thought to myself so what i'll just try to do it i mean i know how to i knew how to read how to uh, read blueprints and things like that which was not hard and just ask questions and you know and of course i observed a lot of house building growing up of course when i was growing up there's more house building going on than what there is now so i used a lot of the fundamentals and just did my research and this is before computers it's before the internet or anything like that so there was plenty of books at the, at the time that i could get and study and it wasn't too hard to get a grasp on it and just started doing it and all what year was this that, that you started oh uh, well, i started well we actually started research well right after we got married uh, about a year or two later 85 we bought some property because we decided by then we were going to start building a house. We uh, we settled down on a log home and, and bought some property, and uh, we bought a log home kit, you might say, and we put it together ourselves. Of course, now I had to get – now when it like excavating and digging out and everything, I hired that. I didn't know – I mean I probably could have, but I try to tear something up, you know, a bulldozer, do the excavating. It would be a lot safer and a lot cheaper if somebody else do that.
0: And the other uh, thing that you did, the log cabin kit, you said that mm-hmm. you had to get the big, big logs. You went ahead and paid extra to have them pre cut some of the, the big cuts at least.
1: Right. I already had it so. pre you know, yeah. I got it pre cut and at the same time they I, I asked them, can you erect it for them? I mean these logs are huge, you know, like you take like about thirty or forty foot log by ten inches by six, you're talking about several uh, several hundred, maybe like a thousand pounds or more. No way in the world I could lift that by myself, or you know maybe I could figure out something rigging it up, but it would take me forever. It was just, you know, it, plus the fact it was just dangerous to do mm-hmm. uh, handling something that large by yourself. So I paid an extra thousand dollars at the time, which which it, it by today, even back then, was a bargain. And I said if you could do that and you wreck this to you know lift these logs up with a boom crane. And they could do it in one day. Well, that's what they did in one day in a thousand (laughs) bucks. Yeah. So, but then had to put the logs in place for me after everything was cut to size and what I wanted. And then my wife and I, we just finished it out.
0: But finishing it out, I mean, you know, that, that, I mean, finishing it out is a lot of work. So, what? Oh, yeah, that was
1: where the real work began. Uh, Then I had to put the rafters on the roof, roof rafters, do the uh, roofing, the shingling. Did that myself, up and down the roof. Oh, boy. Uh, Rig a scaffold myself.
0: You put in all
1: bought, that,
0: the windows, all the, window. the doors. Yeah, put in all the
1: windows, all the doors. Now, we got it enough to where we could move into. Of course, it took a while, just us doing it. See, in 11 months, in 86, we, we moved into the house. and we were It was lock and dry, you might say. We were able to lock the doors, close the windows, had a roof over our head, had running water and electricity. But it was a lot more to do after that.
0: And you oh, did the water and electricity, the plumbing and electricity as well
1: right, oh. right.
0: That's impressive, and,
1: that's and then finishing out then the carpenter skills, Well, uh, that's what you know like I had to build cabinets. My wife she said, "I got to have cabinets, and we couldn't afford <laughs> a cabinet. So I built the cabinets myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I built them, you know this you know they were great looking, but they were functional, and of course, I built her some you know a few years ago, you know a lot nicer. And you know, for, You know, after after the children grew up and everything settled down, then I had time. I was able to build some, build us some nice kitchen cabinets. There. We were busy, really busy for for the first year, just to get moved in. Then it took about another couple of years. Well, big thing was, you know, how 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 quick we did it was. I didn't go into debt at all mm-hmm. on this. We had enough money saved up, maybe from month to month. Buy a little bit of what we can do and go from there. We planned on it and, uh, and if we had enough money saved up, we'd get the materials we need and then just use it up and, and stay out of debt that way. Mm-hmm. And people, it, I don't know about today, but you know, that's, if I had to do had to do it over again, that's what I would do. Plus, uh, I remember before we started building soundstuffs, we checked on loans to see if we could get a building loan and they sort of laughed at us and said, I didn't have any experience, I didn't have any skill. A building house and they said you know you just need to buy a house well that that sort of just grinded it just just got to me so i'll just do it myself <laughs> anyway so and i did and uh of course we've been, we've been living in the house past 35 40 years now
0: well now well, i you I, may you may not want to share some of this information then that's fine just just say you don't want to talk about it but May I ask how much the kit cost with the logs and the the erecting them with that was a thousand dollars, but what was the kit and the logs?
1: Oh now, we you gotta think back this is back about nineteen eighty five. Mm-hmm. I thought, best guess I can remember is like about twelve thousand dollars. Okay. Twelve thousand know, yeah, don't seem like a lot, but that got to remember that's a kit. That's not a house. It's just a kit. It, 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 the logs were on a tractor trailer. You know, they mm-hmm. all fit on a tractor trailer. That's mm-hmm. what. It, you know. And then, put the, and then they, but then you have to put it together. That's a different ballgame.
0: And then all in when you got mm-hmm. the windows and the doors and the plumbing and the cabinets. What do you think that you ended up? The initial go round on the house.
1: The initial go round where we could, uh, where I could say was finished. oh, Gosh. Right about forty five to fifty thousand dollars.
0: hmm. And you did you paid as you went?
1: And paid as I went, yeah, and that's how much money I saved. Of course, I had to work like crazy too. Do that, mm-hmm. but yeah, forty five. Let me see. If, actually, that was not moved in. Okay, one year, two years. So we declared ourselves finished after three years. Mm-hmm. And like when I laid the last stone down on a, it was on the sidewalk. And that's so called what we call the end of the building, the house. And that was about three years. So we we had it right at about fifty thousand dollars in it. And this is wow. about nineteen eighty five. About nineteen eighty eight. Of course 18. I mean well, there was always modifications and improvements and repairs and stuff going on, but officially. Well that's at we, any we, well, house completed.
0: you know, so yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh so it took around right about three years, fifty thousand dollars we had it completed.
0: And what year was uh, your your oldest daughter born?
1: She was born in 1985, we, and she was born right just about a few months before we started building the house. Course, so
0: that's a big that's, job, you know, your wife yeah. having a little baby. and
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I had to, you know, she's, she couldn't be with me all the time. Obviously, she had to be with the baby. So, of course, Grandma helped a lot with that, raising the baby, too, mm-hmm. And while we were building the house. So I did most of it myself by myself for wow. a while. Yeah. And uh, if you asked me to do it again, I would really be hesitant. <laughs> I mean, it it, it, it it was a it was a trying experience. The hardest part, really, was not physically was just making yourself do it. There are days you wake up, I don't want to do this. I can't stand this. I, I can't. You know, you, mm-hmm. you get these doubts. Oh, I can't complete this. I better give up. Or, you know, or mm-hmm. hire somebody. No, nope, no. Nope, just keep at it Mm you just got to keep at it
0: well it's also one of those things too that it's probably just as well that you did it when you were a a young man
1: so yeah that was something else building a house I mean I had the first child born and even before we had it the the house completed you might say you know the second child come along and this about a year or two after we finished up the uh, house and the third one come along so we we were growing the family at the same time we were growing the house Mm-hmm. I' say like it it we had our hands full, and plus me trying to work and I had to work like crazy a lot of overtime trying to try, trying to get the money to help finish the house out.
0: well, one of the so. things you know talking to you and hear, hearing your life, I mean
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's so rare now for families to stay together that you've managed to do that, and that's not easy. And to build a house and raise children, homeschool them, um, have them turn out all right. I mean, these are huge accomplishments that I think for people who are much younger than we are, this is like
1: uh-huh. a
0: completely different era that we're talking about. It's so alien to them, you know, an yeah. intact marriage, a family, a, a building your own home. These things are so far removed from the modern experience
1: yeah i mean it takes commitment and of course i make promise you know like when i got married you know i I, I took a vows with my wife i promise and it's a a contract and i have her intention to keep it and that's what i did and Mm -hmm. you know your word's important and if i say i'm gonna do something i'm gonna do it or i'm gonna do my best to Mm -hmm. do it sticking with schedule. You know people nowadays can't do a function without a cell phone you know they they don't even know what a schedule is and's got like a cell phone with them for example. <laughs> I grew up in a time you didn't have that. you just remembered it and you committed yourself to it today, like for example, a lot of people uh especially the younger generation, not all of them, but a lot of them are not committed to the work. Mm-hmm. they don't show up half the time. Or, or whatever reason or they got an excuse. They're not committed to be there, you know. Even if they don't feel good. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously if they're sick, you know, they're really sick. But you know, it or they might work for a little while and then they quit and go do something else. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do that. You know, I, I didn't grow up like that. You worked and you and you made your you earned your you earned your keep, and that's how how I was talking what I was talking growing up course i got and a lot of that was from my dad you know he, yeah. s- he says you make a commitment you stick to it and uh of course he grew up in a horrible time he grew up in the 20s and from dysfunction very dysfunctional family his mother left him when he was three years old all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and he remembers growing up said, i'm not going to live like this when i grew up of course he went through the misery of world war ii and everything else and finally he got married and and he had a had a family and here I am, and so – and I learned a lot of his uh, worth ethic from him. He grew up in, in depression, for example, mm-hmm. and you didn't have much except for what you, you could – anything. I mean like food. You grew your own food. You better save your food for the winter. I mean that was the kind of life that he had growing up. Go to school with no shoes, for example, as a child. I mean in the middle of the wintertime, the only time that he got some shoes is maybe some worn-out pair of shoes that his father finally wore out. Oversized shoes Or the teachers at school Would sometimes uh, give, give the children At school some shoes I mean, that's, that's the kind of life he grew up in He lived in a shack you might say And you look down at the Cracks of the floor see the chickens underneath That's what he grew up in mm-hmm. uh. Come on He grew up in misery, you might say, and he was determined not to have that life again mm-hmm. for his children, you know, for me. And and learned to appreciate what you have. And,
0: and they just, had, you told me this before, but four children or five?
1: What? Uh, what uh,
0: Your dad and mom?
1: Okay. Oh, no. There's four of know. you? or? No, I'm the only one. I'm the only child.
0: Oh, it's your cousins that you're close oh, to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well,
0: well I, but, I I just know you talk about people that are your generation, but they're cousins.
1: Right. Okay. The cousins I had were, of course, we all lived close, not too far away, like about 23-minute drive, you might say. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, I was the only child, and my mother couldn't have any more children. But my mother was determined that I was not going to be without Growing up with somebody, you know, like uh, if I couldn't have a brother or sister, she made it a point that I see some of my cousins every week somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's about three or four of them that I saw primarily, you know, so I saw at least one or two of them every week. There was like sometimes I see them for several days and you maybe spend the night at their house. They come over, and spend the night with me, or we meet at grandma's house. They were like sisters to me, brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. That's the closest thing I had to. It. So okay. I had some social. Family. Yep, yeah, that's well, that's that's
0: my. what it was because you've you've spoken to me before about them, and I and the way that you talked about them, it just stuck in my head that they were your siblings, but they were your cousins. Well, that's, they're, that they're, was good of your mother. It.
1: Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Th- it, it was. They were very close to me. They're just like siblings to me. I guess not not having yeah. any, but that's closest yeah. ones I could have. Because I remember growing up wanting a brother or sister, and of course, my mother couldn't have one. So anyway, but they. But but they filled in that gap that you wanted somebody your own age to play with growing up. Mm -hmm. I talked a lot, touched on a lot of different areas about you know growing up, things I went through, what affected me. I guess the ultimate goal or ultimate thing was I was looking for truth of what's going on in this world, why what's happening, until I heard Alan and and give me the explanations of what I needed and actually talking to him to something to somebody. That could make sense of what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. and why I, why I was having the feelings of why everything's just going nuts. You know, not a good word to use, but just didn't make sense. Just didn't make sense, of, or why it was happening until I, until Alan came along. He he had the answers there for me.
0: And Alan always know. Alan always liked talking to you, Henry. He called you Salt of the
1: Earth. I've been calling him a Salty Dog probably <laughs> no, he, he he uh,
0: said he said henry he said i just know it that if i ever needed something henry would come through for me and and you yep. know he didn't make those kind of claims about people he didn't he didn't say stuff like that lightly or you know as an everyday thing but he he thought highly of you
1: uh, I do appreciate. I thought one thought the world of him because he was one of the few people that I talked to that 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 I could felt like they somebody that would listen to me or or, or anything like that or or they answer questions. He was one of the few people that I ever met that were like that, mm-hmm. and I really do. And I sorely miss him. Yeah,
0: indeed.
1: Uh, but and that
0: is the thing. I mean that that is the thing that's kind of hard. It's like you can. You can have a little bit of a chat with your daughters. You've introduced them to Alan's work, and you, right, your I did. your yep. wife has a, a a little bit of awareness of what's going on um, and why. But yeah, she doesn't really want to hear life. it because it's upsetting. Yeah. And
1: it is it is terribly upsetting to her. So, mm,
0: so she
1: knows it exists, knows what's going on, but we don't discuss it. It's, you know, at that much. My children do. Yeah, a couple of them do. Uh, yeah, they know of Alan, but. but uh, they're not as enthusiastic Well, I guess because their age, they ha- hadn't quite hit them yet of what you know, how much of a treasure Alan is. Well, like you know,
0: too, their life is going pretty well for them, and the system is right. working, you know, right. I, I think part of really wrapping your head around a lot of the information, I'm not necessarily saying that it's for older people or that no, and not at all, because a lot of young people really understand and take it in, but. It seems to me that there's something you have to have experienced something exactly. in your life that yeah that makes you really question why.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's a few other things that I don't I don't want to talk about, you know, that happened, but uh, that really got me to questioning why things happened. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, I you know I don't want anybody to ever to have to go through what I had or my family has. And some things like that just really wake you up. Of course, I was mm-hmm. already looking for answers before that, but that that was really a kickstarter. Just trying to search through the uh, radio spectrum or something. And what's going on? Or, mm-hmm. or, or who, who had something to say? And that's good. but anyway.
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you found Alan. That's that's great. Well, Henry, um, the hour flew by. It it was fun as always to talk to you and interesting uh, because. I wanted to hear more of the details of the house, and you're going to send a few pictures of it, the way it right. looks now got, at
1: least. Okay. i got a few more details about the house. Oh. Later on. You know, oh, okay. It's, the <laughs> funny right. things that happened to it. One was kind of kind of dangerous could have been tragic or hilarious. You, I have to explain it later what happened there.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Boy, well, if you knew what
1: happened you, and you knew my family, you knew my wife, you know why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad okay. you all survived it.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a few heroin moments, yeah. but uh, we, we we still laugh about it today.
0: That's good. Well, thank you so much. For taking your time, and I'm glad we got to do this. We've been trying to do it. We actually tried to record a couple of days ago, and the I don't know if you what you'd call it. The electronic gods were not with us. <laughs> so.
1: No, they weren't. just, just, yeah, just so. the, the ducks have got to be in the right row for that's them.
0: right. So we got it. We got them lined up tonight, and I'm glad. Thank you very much.
1: Okay, thank. you. All right, you and well, everybody,
0: I'll I'll come back again. Next week, and look forward to the next episode. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
2: Well, I've got something that did